Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hi, it's Brad. Excited to jump into some Q&A about the wonderful journey of keto. What's going on, peoples? Let's see what happens. This will be my quickest intro into the questions instead of rambling on for 23 minutes like usual. How about Kim Paul? She says, I've been doing keto for four months. Pretty strict. Carbs around 50 or below. And my body has a 40-pound fat suit that I've had chronically now for many years. My fat just will not release. I have not lost any weight or inches in the past four months. I actually gained a couple pounds. I'm not active. Uh, LBP, I don't know what that stands for. Uh, So she has some condition that's limiting her activity, and she has uh, right arm pain. My husband and I eat out only two to three times a year. I make everything from scratch, 98% whole foods. I just don't know where to turn. 54-year-old female, 5'4", 160 pounds. What's up, Kim? Sorry to hear about your struggles. You're going four months pretty strict keto. You should expect some results, don't you think, listeners? I think so. Mercy me, with 98% whole foods, too, so you're eating good stuff, preparing it at home. We're going to have to speculate that there's some issues going on that's preventing the fat from being released, as you say. Uh, Leaky gut. Inflammation. Uh, The accumulation of visceral fat around the midsection being its own separate and distinct organ. Those are the words of Dr. David Perlmutter and many others. It's secreting inflammatory chemicals, causing a vicious cycle of accumulation of further visceral fat and difficulty uh, burning off stored body fat, both subcutaneous, uh, those are the, the, the pinches that you get all over your body, fat deposits, as well as the visceral fat that is surrounding your organs in your midsection, and that's the most urgent one to try and remove from the body or try to prevent the accumulation of uh, as we go through life and age. So we want to get these issues handled. Um, I would say I would run immediately to your nearest functional medicine specialist so you can get tested. Uh, for free, you can go to the website nourishbalancethrive.com and take the quiz that's presented on the homepage, and it will give you an accurate prediction with Chris Kelly's algorithms uh, about what you might be suffering from. Uh, this is feeding the data into uh, a large body of information with blood tests and expensive uh, metabolic testing to whereby you answer this, this, and this to the questions, you might have leaky gut. And this is a very common uh, uh, red flag uh, way that people uh, struggle and um, don't experience the desired results is something wrong with gut dysfunction that's messing up uh, your fat burning, your appetite hormones. 
the tone of your message makes it seem like you're doing a fantastic job with this 98% whole foods and cooking everything from scratch at home. And just for all listeners out there, we want to make sure that we're uh, on this road in this game, that we have a total elimination of refined, high polyunsaturated vegetable oils from the diet. And when she says she only eats out a couple times a year, that's a great indication that she's probably doing well there. But there's many of us that this stuff is still leaking into the picture because 40% of all restaurant calories, whether it be fast food crap or a nice fancy pants place that's serving you the salmon or the steak, 40% of the calories that you obtain from dining out are estimated to come from refined, high polyunsaturated vegetable oils. Because even the fancy spots will use vegetable oil when they're cooking their meals. Oh, it's tragic. It's sad. You have to ask them specifically to cook your meal in butter instead of vegetable oil. Uh, And as Dr. Kate Shanahan talks about in detail... The ingestion of vegetable oils, it's integrated into healthy cell membranes. It's very difficult to burn off because these are dysfunctional, chemically altered molecules that your body integrates into normal routine cellular functions, uh, but they're difficult to burn off because they're, they're fake, they're messed up, they're, they're chemically altered. So that's kind of the last fat to hang on when you're trying to drop excess body fat. So we want to purge the diet from those and... I don't know what LBP stands for, but I really want to see you getting active because that could be a great catalyst to uh, start getting some fat off your body. Um, Walking, anything, gentle exercise, low impact exercise if necessary, like uh, pedaling on the uh, bicycle at the gym. But we got to get moving, especially if you're stuck like that. So it's get moving whatever way possible. Uh, Go see a functional medicine specialist to see if you got issues. And if you make some basic assumptions that you're suffering from leaky gut, inflammation, uh, accumulation of visceral fat, uh, we want to get that handled quick. A few more comments about visceral fat for all the listeners. So... The distinction between the fat all over your body, we call that uh, subcutaneous fat beneath the skin fat, and then visceral fat surrounding the organs in the midsection. So for males and females, a critical objective. We talk about this a lot in the upcoming book, Keto Longevity. You have to keep that off your body. You have to fight that valiant battle uh, as you get to your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. And if if you can stave it off, you will kind of escape from the negative spiral of this visceral fat secreting inflammatory chemicals and inhibiting healthy fat metabolism such that gaining a little bit of a spare tire will beget making a bigger spare tire. It's a bad deal, man. So that's your um, your litmus test. Your goal is to... Um, uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone and Dr. Ron Sinha have these um, markers. You can test yourself and see how you're doing with this objective. One of them, Dr. Sinha calls it the feet test. <laughs> okay, so here's what you do. You stand uh, undressed, stand up straight and look down and sh- you should be able to see most of your feet. That is a test to see if you have a healthy level of uh, visceral fat or if you're added too much visceral fat, uh, unable to see your feet. Uh, Dr. Maffetone uh, wants your waistline measurement to be less than half of your height, 
okay, in inches, right? So if you have a 34 inch waist, uh, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty fit and healthy and trim for a male, uh, you don't want to be uh, shorter than 68 inches, double 34, and that's 5'8". So uh, Dr. Maffetone's book, The Overfat Pandemic, estimates that 90% of all Americans are overfat. And that quick example where 34 is a trim-looking dude, uh, but still right there on the borderline uh, of being overfat if he's 5'8 or below. Whew. So that's a big objective to um, split the difference or lower with your waistline versus your height. And look and see your feet too. Okay. Uh, visceral fat is more objectionable to health and hormonal function because it has inflammatory properties that cause a chain reaction of unfortunate events. In Dr. Davis's best-selling book, Wheat Belly, he calls excess abdominal fat its own distinct endocrine organ, uh, just like Perlmutter, or maybe I mix those two guys up. Everybody's talking about it. It's bad news. Okay. It promotes not only inflammation, but also insulin resistance and additional fat storage. When you're inflamed, you don't burn stored body fat well, and hormones can become dysregulated to the extent that you tend to eat more and become more likely to store those extra calories as belly fat. Check your CRP levels, your high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. That's a common blood test. If it's not common, insist that you get that uh, the next time you go see your doctor. And also pay close attention to healing your gut lining. Leaky gut can promote inflammation, can promote promote the accumulation of visceral fat. Uh, I talked about this in the other show, that my kombucha habit, I'm now brewing my own kombucha to the tune of four gallons at a time. Uh, As you might know, it takes 11 to 14 days first fermentation, and then three to four days for the second fermentation. So every few weeks, I'm working my way through four gallons of kombucha. I'm getting a massive dose of probiotics at all times. I'm enjoying the liquid probiotic called Flourish. I'm enjoying the primal probiotic. And then I go to the store and buy this and that random stuff off the shelf, the little uh, yogurt milk bombs that they have in a six pack. And so I'm putting uh, different strains of probiotic products as well as going for the sauerkraut and the kombucha in the diet. So pay close attention. There are so many downstream problems with leaky gut. And we've come to think that it's normal, it seems, to have gas bloating, indigestion, uh, digestive difficulties, constipation. Uh, It just seems normal because we've been eating this grain-based diet our whole lives, and there's a lot of fallout from that. It's really difficult to heal. And I will state that when I had a string of surgeries in 2015, I had an emergency appendectomy, um, was a really difficult surgery, had complications after three uh, three surgeries on my uh, kidney and bladder. And so I was in and out of the hospital for months, had a whole bunch of intravenous antibiotics, especially after the appendectomy. I think it was three or four days straight. Um, just getting getting dosed and blasting my uh, my intestinal microbiome with antibiotics. So it was a long struggle, a long road back. 
I'd go down to Mexico. I'd come back and get sick every time. That's four different trips down there. I was so sad because I love that country, but I just wasn't right. And it was a massive effort to emphasize all different manner of probiotics in the diet, as well as prebiotics like green bananas going in my smoothies and the best form of resistant starch as a supplement, which is raw potato starch. You can find that online or in a good store. Bob's Red Mill is a brand that carries it. I just get mine pure organic raw potato starch from Amazon and I sprinkle that into my smoothies uh, every day. So rebuilding that gut health, even a healthy health conscious eater. If you have a dose of antibiotics, just something simple, a one-timer, it will blast everything. It will destroy all the healthy bugs in your tract and you have to repopulate it very carefully. So there's a plug for that and finishing up the commentary that started with Kim's unfortunate story about uh, struggling to drop excess body fat even with uh, a good adherence to keto. Here's from Anthony. Good day. I'm from Australia and just about to embark on the keto reset diet. What good timing for your question. Uh, In the last year, I have stopped eating meat due to the evidence produced by Tyler and Don Tolman at one of their seminars regarding the correlation of heart disease and cancer in countries with high meat consumption. What are your thoughts about not eating meat, and can you still do the keto diet without meat, even though I've been a meat eater all my life, I'm 56 years old? So, (sighs) when you eat that shithole meat from shithole countries... (laughs) you could run into trouble. So we have to make a critical distinction between lousy meat and healthy, nutritious, sustainably raised, pasture-raised, grass-fed sources of meat. It's a ridiculous argument to make a blanket statement like, oh, there's a strong correlation of heart disease and cancer in countries with high meat consumption. This reminds me of the China study, which came out to great fanfare and reached bestseller status. And they were talking about how the peasants in rural China live longer than the uh, more affluent folks in the cities who like to indulge in uh, delicious meals centered upon meat. But the peasants are eating rice and beans and living, living longer. I think that's the essence of the China study. Uh, sorry if I'm uh, bastardizing it. Uh, but these kind of blanket commentaries, I'm not going to advocate and say, oh, meat's great, keto's great, these guys are stupid on the other side, the vegan vegetarian movement. But what I will say is we can't oversimplify or extract generalizations uh, like the one presented. So thank you so much, Anthony, for uh, sending your message in the exact form to open up this commentary. Correlation of heart disease and cancers in countries with high meat consumption. Well... Maybe those countries are also consuming a lot of other crap along with their meat, right? Sugar, Slurpees, things like that. It's very, very difficult to isolate a country's behavior uh, with you know, their meat intake and then draw a correlation to cancer and heart disease. Ansel Keys tried to do that back in the 60s and 70s, one of the most disastrous promoters of propaganda we've ever seen in history. Oh, Kate Shanahan will go off on this subject and how he hoodwinked the United States Congress to adopt the dietary standards, the early food pyramids, and recommendations to avoid uh, a saturated fat in favor of the uh, toxic refined vegetable oils that came into prominence, the margarine pushing out the butter back when, and we're still recovering from it. It's been the... Uh, uh, 
the catalyst for hundreds and thousands of unnecessarily unnecessary and premature deaths from heart disease, cancer, and all the things associated with the consumption of uh, refined vegetable oils. So I'm just going to strike hard at making uh, generalizations and flawed logic of that manner where you're going to go, heart disease and cancer, countries with high meat consumption, period. No effing way. Similarly, uh, remember the old, um, there was an old message in the early days of primal paleo that uh, there's a population of indigenous folks down in South America that have been observed to eat a diet of 80% corn, potatoes, and uh, some other vegetables and zero meat, and they have a long, healthy life and have no heart disease. And so uh, the argument is, well, look at these people, Uh, you know, they're eating a super high carbohydrate diet and they're thriving and surviving, unlike the doomsdayers are saying. Uh, Well, guess what? Those people also freaking walk uh, 12 miles a day and don't have digital devices uh, frying their brains with EMFs and excess digital stimulation, artificial light and digital stimulation after dark, and so on and so on. So we have to be reasonable with our arguments and be very, very careful making associations. So let's focus on the subject of eating meat or not. Oh, how often do you hear, yeah, well, I, I mostly eat um, chicken and fish and stay away from red meat. Oh, good. Congratulations for you. Guess what? If you eat quality grass-fed red meat, that in many ways has a superior nutritional profile to chicken uh, and to the lighter meats, uh, the pork, due to the way that um, these animals are raised. It's uh, an inferior fatty acid profile when you're talking about a routine store-bought chicken, conventionally raised chicken, versus a grass-fed, uh, sustainably raised animal. Like, uh, oh my gosh, the uh, the website wildidea.com, the Wild Idea Buffalo from uh, Free Range out there in South Dakota, and the wonderful uh, natural life that these animals live, the fact that they're off the off the grid from the uh, the pipeline of the feedlot animal and the lifestyle that that cattle lives, where um, the stats that were promoted by Wild Idea was that uh, 40 million cattle are slaughtered every year for our enjoyment. And if you read Fast Food Nation, you'll realize how much of a conglomerate and a monopoly this whole situation is where the uh, the packing houses and the slaughtering is done by a very small number of operations, outfits where the cattle are just being forced in there. It's stressful. It's dirty. It's filthy. They live a crappy life. They eat crappy food. And then uh, you're uh, consuming this inferior quality meat uh, versus the buffalo. There's 60,000 buffalo that are harvested every year. Notice how they say slaughtered for the cows and then harvested for the buffalo. And generally, especially in the case of wild, they did. They go out there in a trailer and they slaughter, like, excuse me, harvest, like eight at a time in a humane manner. So the animal's relaxed and the uh, the tissue is accordingly not uh, laden with stress hormones, which is the case when an animal is frightened at the time of its harvesting or slaughtering. It was wild news to me because I didn't know this. I'm not a hunter, but apparently if you ask any hunter, you go out there and you need to get a fresh kill on the animal. You need to take it down right away, your deer, whatever you're hunting, Uh, Because if you wound it and the animal's running around, then the animal gets super stressed, fight or flight response kicks in, and their tissues are full of stress hormones to the extent that the animal doesn't taste very good to eat. So 
um, the wounded animal is kind of uh, turned down by the hunter. Uh, hopefully, they uh, they they uh, take care of uh, business and uh, let it uh, perish in a humane manner, rather than just <laughs> let it let it run off. Uh, I don't know. Let me know, hunters. Is that what you do? Uh, but again, just an, uh, avoiding uh, the stressed animal. I remember uh, glancing through the clever book uh, Skinny Bitch back in the day when it hit the bestseller list, and they were talking about this in a really uh, uh, dramatic and inflammatory manner, but there was some truth to some of their message where these poor animals suffered and struggled to the very end, and it does affect uh, the uh, nutritional quality of the meat. Gee, how come hamburgers from In-N-Out taste so good? You know what? There's so much artificial flavoring going on that it's shocking. And in Fast Food Nation, author Eric Schlosser detailed how these mass-produced burgers that you see from the fast food joints, uh, I shouldn't have picked on In-N-Out Burger because apparently their um, standards are a little better than the other burger spots. That's what they uh, claim. I think they make the patties fresh at the individual restaurant locations rather than ship frozen patties from wherever that are that old. But Eric Schlosser was talking about how if you take the average hamburger patty that you get from, let's say, McDonald's, it has so many flavoring chemicals in there manufactured by super genius food scientists, especially concentrated in this uh, single turnpike area of New Jersey, where they're in factories uh, doing these chemical activities, chemical reactions, and coming up with solutions that they can include into this uh, ridiculously bland and possibly tainted frozen meat, tainted with stress hormones, to the extent that they can make it taste like a delicious burger. And he writes with, um, I mean, I read this book right 20 years ago. I think it came out like in 98. And I still remember uh, the the passages where he was blindfolded and brought into these, um, these flavoring, these food uh, factories. And they would uh, like, you know, put a test tube under his nose and he would describe... Uh, burger fries with ketchup and salt and pickles, and he's smelling in a chemical form the exact thing that they're going to present you with in the restaurant. So it's just flavor-enhanced, heavily processed food. And yeah, um, don't eat that crap, or you'll get heart disease and cancer straight up. But hopefully in Australia, we know you're close to New Zealand, and New Zealand is the home of the grass-fed Lamb, entirely, 100%, for sure. If you see lamb from New Zealand, it was guaranteed to be grass-fed, no hormones, any of that stuff. So you're eating some quality, you're getting some access to quality meats wherever you are. Make an important point of that. Yeah, it costs a little more, um, but the nutritional density is so superior that you can eat less meat and uh, get as much benefit as slamming down the crappy stuff. So there's a nice um, ramble to uh, make every question and answer rich and interesting for all listeners. Next is Joshua. Hey, I've tried to get into primal or keto lifestyle for years without success. I have physical and emotional disabilities and not much support structure for healthy lifestyle. I think it's great you have the coaching certification, that's primalhealthcoach.com, and you host events for people interested in primal eating. Have you ever thought about offering boot camps for folks just getting into primal lifestyle, a sort of detox program to help people get away from standard American diet? (gasps) Great stuff, Josh. Thank you. You know, we are putting together a, a retreat for keto enthusiasts in the beautiful, fabulous destination of Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, on the tip of the uh, Baja Peninsula. 
at an all-inclusive resort with fabulous restaurants of assorted natures where you can go in and uh, forage and navigate to uh, ideal keto meals. But we have a full slate of presenters and lectures and seminars and also outdoor physical activity. This is kind of resurrecting the wonderful tradition that was the Primal Con retreats, whereby we did uh, nine of those in a span of four years all over North America and had the most wonderful time and the great connections of primal enthusiasts coming from all over the globe to gather and get intense and get focused and super motivated with an intense educational experience with so much takeaway. Brian, that's how we met, huh? And look at that. It turned into a career for Brian doing videos, audios, being part of the Primal team just because he himself was an enthusiast and paid his own way down to Primal Con and went in deep for four days of great presentations and camaraderie. So um, uh, I don't think the website's up yet. But thanks for your interest, and the Keto Cabo Retreat will be coming soon, so maybe you can Google that, and something will pop up at some point, or I'll uh, announce it on future episodes. How about that? Okay, Donna. Keto Reset Questions. Hey, guys, I'm almost finished reading your Keto Reset book. You guys are incredible and so informative and so entertaining and clever. And uh, she didn't really write that. Okay, so (laughs) she said, excellent resource. Thank you. How's that? I've read many books on on this topic and find yours to be the most thorough. Straight up, girl. Thank you for the compliment. I have been following a grain-free, sugar-free diet for quite some time now after an acid reflux diagnosis. Uh, I've chosen not to use prescription medications. Good choice. I work with a naturopath. I found out I had SIBO. That stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, A very common condition. Most people don't know they have it, uh, but it comes from that lifetime of consuming a high-carbohydrate grain-based diet. You get dysfunction in your intestinal microbiome, and you get an overgrowth of uh, unhealthy bacteria. And, oh my gosh, there's so many downstream symptoms. It's inflammatory. It has autoimmune uh, uh, implications. And I believe it also kind of, I might be be wrong here, but I think it um, prompts cravings for carbohydrates to kind of feed this overgrowth often uh, is uh, described as uh, yeast overgrowth. So you literally become addicted to carbohydrates uh, when you have a condition like SIBO. Ah, Yes, I struggle with missing bread-like things, but I find coconut and almond flour replacements very satisfying. To my questions... I never had a thyroid issue I know of or an adrenal issue. I'm working to manage stress and get better sleep. I'm 51. I suspect premenopause for the nighttime uh, awakenings, but I'm also on the waiting list for a hip replacement, and that achiness can keep me up also. I struggle with dropping the last 10 pounds. I'm 6 foot 164. I've been active all my life, but now I can only do stationary biking weights uh, and very little high-intensity training. My naturopath thinks systemic inflammation in my body is the reason I cannot drop the excess body fat. It seems to have gathered around my middle and hips a bit. I've tracked food for a week and kept my counts and ranges suggested. It's hard to get the carbs under 20 grams, uh, but the diets aren't counting the salad, so my net carbs are pretty darn close to that. I haven't bought a blood machine. I've done some urine testing, and I've only shown slight ketosis, so I'm not sure what to tweak. Any suggestions can be uh, appreciated. So, um... 
backing up a little bit. Yeah, so that's good. You're seeing a naturopath, and the systemic inflammation can definitely mess with your goals of dropping excess body fat, as can SIBO. So uh, a lot of times the naturopaths can give you targeted supplements or recommendations to emphasize certain healing foods for the gut lining. Uh, Bone broth is one of them that's now coming into prominence as a really great uh, uh, catalyst to help heal the gut lining. It's got the Uh, glutamine, among other amino acids, whereby uh, it helps the gut lining secrete uh, uh, beneficial mucus to heal some of those, uh, some of the inflammation damage to the microvilli in the the intestinal tract that's uh, letting stuff leak through and cause the autoimmune response that we call leaky gut syndrome. So getting the bone broth going, just intensifying the nutritional density of your diet. Go for it, girl. And um, hopefully that gut will heal up. Um, And same with the inflammation. Uh, The description of fat gathering around the middle and hips a bit, as I discussed previously with the visceral fat, is a concern. So we want to clean things up and your attempt at restricting uh, dietary carbohydrates, uh, processed carbohydrates is helping there. And, you know, when you're writing a story like this, as we see so many, uh, patience is uh, one of the attributes that's going to need to come into play. You're not going to get miracle transformation when you've been baking SIBO, baking bread in there, uh, yeast overgrowth, uh, to, to sound a little crude for all of us listening, not just talking uh, specifically to Donna, but um, when, you're, when you're getting stuff like that happening, uh, that's a long road of metabolic damage that needs to be unwound, and it might take a while, so... Um, and regarding the urine strips, uh, f- certainly listeners to the show have heard this uh, plenty, uh, but the urine strips are measuring the ketones that you excrete uh, in the form of acetone. So that's what's darkening the strip. And who cares what you excrete? What you want to care about is what you're utilizing. Uh, so if you are making ketones through devoted dietary restriction, We want to observe that they're being used for fuel, especially by the brain, and testing blood ketones thereby is much more uh, accurate than testing the the urine. Uh, But even beyond that, as we write about in the Keto Reset Diet, and both Mark Sisson and I experienced this, where uh, as we got further down the road and more uh, 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 fat and keto adapted, at times the blood ketone readings would be lower than they were uh, months before when we were just getting going and building some momentum coming out of the gate. And that's because as the body gets better at utilizing the ketones, the blood levels might not spike up to crazy numbers because you're producing only what you need and only what the brain requires to burn at that time. So uh, the net uh, the net message here is don't get obsessed with numbers no matter what and try to uh, integrate the, um, the subjective uh, evaluations of how keto is making you feel, how's your energy, how's your hunger, uh, are these things stabilized or are you struggling uh, with the keto flu and nonsense like that that we want to back away from and realize that that's not acceptable. Okay, so I think this is continuing Donna's question. If grain carbs are bad, why are they okay for the growing population of kids and pregnant women? Um, I believe that's a mischaracterization from the book or maybe uh, more likely something I said on the audio. So uh, no one here is advocating that grains are okay for growing populations. 
Um, but the the link there is when we talk about growing populations, uh, people in, in growth phase of life, like infants, uh, teenagers, uh, pregnant or nursing mothers, uh, they're not concerned with um, uh, accelerated cell division. They're actually promoting accelerated cell division so that the infant can uh, double their double their birth weight in, in the first year of life and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Or the teenager can put on the muscle necessary to uh, make the starting lineup on the high school basketball team and so on. Um, but it's not by any means necessary. It's more... Uh, it's better to uh, look at this issue as uh, increasing your intake of all manner of uh, colorful, nutritious foods, including carbohydrates, right? So if you're going to be slamming the carbs and nursing the baby or what have you, uh, make them sweet potatoes and uh, things that are you know less objectionable, more uh, high cacao percentage dark chocolate, uh, nuts, seeds, and their derivative butters. Okay, Brad Kern says popcorn's not that bad anyway. Once in a while, you pour a bunch of butter on it. I also put like lemon-flavored olive oil, lots of salt, and I will be seen enjoying that evening uh, celebration now and then. And um, I like to eat it so much that sometimes I eat too much and therefore I get deterred from doing it on a regular basis. So that's kind of a little funny game I'm playing with myself. How about that? I make the popcorn, I stuff my face, and then I'm like, ah, I ate too much. I don't feel so good, especially eating this late at night. Uh, Forget it for a while. (laughs) Okay, that's an aside, huh? Anyway, back to the rest of the question. I don't know the best direction to take my family for optimal health. I have a background in holistic nutrition. I've been everything from vegan to paleo, and I want to raise my family right. I know our ancestors did not eat wheat, uh, but uh, in the Bible, they talk about uh, ground grains and flat breads. If we had not genetically modified our grains, would the wheat be okay, especially in smaller quantities? Um, This is some fun, interesting dialogue from Dr. Davis's book, Wheat Belly, where he talks about the uh, genetically modified modern wheat crop that was designed in, I believe, the 50s to generate a massive increase in yield per acre of the wheat fields. And this was genetically modified without regard to the human digestive tract or immune system. And of course, it is extremely offensive to ingest. Uh, The gluten, the gliadin protein that's contained in modern wheat has all sorts of uh, metabolic disturbances and health consequences. One of them, according to Dr. Davis's research that he cites, is that it stimulates appetite to the tune of consuming an additional 300 calories per day because you have wheat, the modern wheat, and the gliadin protein contained in the modern wheat in your diet. It stimulates the opioid receptors in the brain to eat more freaking food. That's why when you see the Pringles commercial and you can't eat just one, it's because they have dusted these products with a little bit of wheat. Look carefully on the labels of some of the crap that we have in the the processed food scene, and you will see uh, uh, quizzically uh, wheat contained in these products that you wouldn't otherwise think. So they know the addictive properties of the wheat and they're sticking it into our food supply. Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, Sugar has similar uh, addictive and appetite-stimulating properties. So when this stuff lingers in your diet, 
oh, I have a little bit of a sweet tooth. I can't help it. Just acknowledge that a little bit will beget consuming a little bit more and a little bit more, especially when you factor in uh, the blood sugar spike, the insulin release, and the prompting for additional cravings for quick energy carbohydrates because you uh, tanked your blood sugar by consuming the carbohydrates in the first place. I know that's true for me. I can reference, especially back in my younger days where, you know, if you go and have um, a hot fudge sundae or a giant bowl of frozen yogurt, as we used to do when uh, we'd run five miles to the yogurt store, so at least we had that protective benefit, uh, you'd have that thing, you'd be stuffed like you couldn't believe, you never want to eat another bite of anything, and then two hours later, you're going around looking for a snack because you had that profound insulin release that gave you a drop in blood sugar, and now it's time to munch a little bit more. So we want to spin out of that by uh, tightly regulating our consumption of uh, the insulin-stimulating foods. So the 1950s was when this highly offensive, genetically modified modern wheat crop was introduced. And before that, I think uh, this is Dr. Davis's book. He was referencing something like 1870 or somewhere around there where another innovation uh, was achieved uh, with wheat to uh, generate uh, better, uh, better crop harvest. And that, again, was a departure from the centuries-old wheat of, uh, you know, uh, Neolithic times where it was vastly superior in nutritional quality and less offensive to the body to digest. So he has these checkpoints on the wheat timeline where things got worse and worse because the product became more efficient to grow. So, yeah, good question. Yeah. And um, I think the uh, takeaway is, yeah, if you were eating... uh, the wheat that uh, Jesus chowed down. What was that, 2,000 years ago? How old is that guy? Oh, 2019, something like that. Um, you'd be uh, vastly better off and of minimal concern. So now today, uh, you can go to the health food store and you see these products like manna bread and things where they're sprouted and uh, not containing the offensive uh, agents that processed bread has. Uh, but again, um, probably a good idea to just kind of uh, sign off on that category of food, the breads and the wheats and things, instead of looking for what's the best kind of bread to eat, I'd probably uh, slap that question around and say nothing, right? (laughs) Okay. So Preston coming through. I love the idea of a breath meter because I think I'll use it more often. Are these breath meters accurate in your opinion for testing ketone levels or is it better to get a blood meter? Should I be measuring my blood sugar levels also? Uh, My thought was I was going to test how the body reacts to certain foods with a blood sugar test just for an experimental period, not testing my blood forever. Uh, So the Precision Extra blood ketone meter also tests blood glucose. And I do think it's a great idea to uh, take the opportunity when you prick your finger to test both of them at the same time and see the association between ketones and glucose. Um, all kinds of interesting data ensue. Generally speaking, uh, I notice a correlation with a optimally low blood glucose level and a higher ketone level, uh, indicating that I'm getting my energy needs, uh, especially for the brain, uh, more from ketones and less from glucose. 
So if you prick your finger and you're looking at a ketone value of 0.7 or 1.0 and your glucose is down in the 80s, um, Peter Atia talks about this a lot. You know, that's a gold star badge of honor. If you can feel great and maintain a healthy cognitive function with your blood glucose down in the 80s, that's where he wants to see his uh, long-term average over years and years the rest of his life. Okay. So, testing those both at the same time, good. The breath meters, well, there's a little bit of uh, logistics to those too. You're changing the tubes, you know, so you don't spit on the next person's uh, test. And um, there's a different scale than there is on the blood meter. So, we're so familiar with um, the 0.5 being the nutritional ketosis cutoff point and up to uh, 1.5 is mild ketosis and 1.5 to 3 is heavy ketosis and so forth. And on the breath meter, it's a different scale and there's some conversions that you can estimate uh, what that might be on blood meter. But the blood meter is inexpensive. I believe the breath meters are uh, quite a bit more expensive. And then you buy the strips and they were uh, in the early days very expensive. It was like a couple bucks for a single strip, a single test result. And now I think you can get them, especially on eBay, uh, you can get them for cheap. I remember buying a bunch of them. So I'm going for glucose and ketones And personally, uh, I tested aggressively when I first started out in this world and we were working on the first book and wanted to know how the different reactions and different things like uh, throwing in uh, fasted workouts would affect the, uh, the ketones and the glucose levels. And now, these days, pretty much uh, losing interest, <laughs> too busy to bother with extensive testing, just uh, more mainly going on how I feel. Um, tracking things like whether there's any difference in my morning cognitive energy and afternoon energy stabilization if I wake up and eat a delicious green smoothie, or I wake up and fast until 1 p.m., or I wake up and have an omelet, or my uh, fabulous hard-boiled eggs with walnuts, primal kitchen mayo, sun-dried tomatoes, a little preparation, and trying to uh, just optimize everything. And gosh, some of these great messages from uh, the experts like Dr. Tommy Wood. I did three podcasts with him on the Get Over Yourself channel, so go listen to those. And he uh, had a memorable quote whereby he said, look, if you're metabolically healthy, you should be able to handle anything, including six weeks of keto per the Keto Reset Diet journey, or going out and having some delicious ice cream and having uh, you know an indulgence where you're consuming vastly more carbohydrates than normal. Don't stress about it. Your body should be able to Take that energy, process it, release the insulin, get back to stable blood sugar the next day, and off you go. Rather than stressing about a regimented, exact approach every single day that might be overrated and it might even be unnecessary, maybe counterproductive, especially psychologically, if you're experiencing any kind of stress or anxiety in relation to uh, your ketogenic journey. So, how's that sound, Preston? Okay, next is kind of a success story from Michaela and her little guy, five-year-old son. He was born with some health conditions and given antibiotics for the first year of his life. Amazing that he's healthy as he is. He had another round of antibiotics for a bad ear infection at three years old. Did you know that a single treatment of antibiotics in your life, raise your hand if you've never had any, a single dose of antibiotics will alter your gut microbiome forever. Wow. 
That's one reason why the burgeoning field of FMT, fecal microbial transplants, is super exciting and interesting, the cutting edge of modern medicine. Have you heard about this stuff? You Google and read about it. What they do is an actual transplant where they're putting the poop of a healthy person into the colon of a patient who's suffering and generating a miracle, absolute miracle cures from serious diseases like C. diff. This is the most deadly form of uh, a bacterial infection that's very common in weak, frail, elderly patients in hospitals that kills about 30,000 people a year. And oh, they get the FMT and respond and heal up in a matter of days after spending weeks or months not responding very well to very powerful antibiotic treatments and repeated doses of powerful antibiotics. So good thing for the little guy that he's been eating well, mom's feeding him well. And we've been primal for four months now, Michaela says. It's helping him immensely. His attitude is better. His allergies have improved. His focus has improved. His aggressive tendency is nearly gone, and his temper is nearly non-existent now. Oh, man. I mean, great news to read this, but also if you're uh, reading between the lines, realizing how much of especially uh, youth behavior regulation and mental stability is related to this uh, horrible dietary habits that we uh, see, especially with young people today. The kids need nutrition so badly, especially in these uh, growth years where their brain is still forming. And instead, they're out there uh, slurping Starbucks and uh, on the addiction path with uh, carbohydrates for the rest of their lives, uh, thanks to the uh, prevailing forces of modern culture. So those parents that are you know, taking a stand and making sure that their kids uh, eat healthy in the home, Wonderful stuff, but that brings up the question, uh-huh, in school, he does get some sugar and grains. I guess my question is, should we try to be more keto with him so that his intake at school is mitigated or is primal good enough? That's a very interesting uh, idea, right? You're going to like just throw down in your home and be full on keto and the kid never sees a carbohydrate come through the front door. But then at recess, all of a sudden people are busting out the cheese and crackers and who knows what else is available on the school playground. Speaking of that, man, don't get me started because at my kid's elementary school, they'd have Otter Pop sales. So the third grade class could get enough money to go on their field trip to, <laughs> one of them was the Jelly Belly Jelly Bean Factory. Drive me crazy. So you're allowed to go on campus and sell other kids sugar throughout their recess with the line going around the block, literally on the playground. Instead of exercising, the kids are standing in line with their dollar ready to spring for an Otter Pop disgusting colored sugar uh, that they will ingest and then go try to sit in their chair and concentrate for the next few hours. And where's that money going to? <sighs> a field trip or the choice? This was like an annual tradition. This is a Northern California uh, jelly bean manufacturer that I guess offers some really cool field trips and runs kids through there all day long, setting them up for lifetime addiction customers. Uh, but boy, that juxtaposition was pretty disappointing. Anyway, just getting that off my chest, if you have similar stuff going on at your kid's elementary school, make a stink about it, man. Why don't you have a sale for uh, erasers or uh, uh, trading cards for the, uh, the, the, the Pokemon or the NBA basketball player? Who knows? Anything but uh, crappy food going down their pipe. 
Okay, back to Michaela's question. Um, should I be more keto at home? I know he's still developing and loves his fruit. Um, thank you so much for letting me know. Uh, yeah, I like the idea of having a super clean um, eating situation at home, knowing that there's going to be all kinds of temptation and uh, consumption in real life. And I remember fighting that battle with my kids throughout their formative years where I said, look, you know, I just want you guys to know I'm going to be in your face for the rest of your days here or for the rest of your life, whatever. I'm toning it down now. Adults have their own choices, but I wanted them to know the consequences of their decision and make friendly, uh, insightful, factual commentary about the relative health values of the foods they were choosing and not to be militant and try to ban uh, certain foods from, uh, you know, entering the door or uh, legislate every single thing with every single meal decision. Uh, but you can have some heavy standards. And oh my gosh, Sarah Fragroso, the uh, uh, wonderful uh, longtime paleo author, uh, Everyday Paleo was her, uh, her breakout book in the early years. And she was... Uh, giving a, a lecture on this topic of like um, uh, supporting healthy eating in the family home. And she said, oh, well, in my home, yeah, we're full on paleo. And I'm like, what? How do you do that? That's incredible with these young kids and teenager kids. And she says, well, you know, it's my money. It's my kitchen. This is the food, period. And I thought that was a game. That was OG right there. And uh, boy, oh boy, when you're fighting those battles with the whiny uh, three-year-old riding in your grocery cart and them trying to pull the pinwheels into the car, uh, into the cart, it's like, oh no, you want to go, you want to go buy that crap? Go get a job, man. Yeah, throw down on the um, on the kid scene there, and use whatever leverage you can. And of course, accept gracefully that they're going to be uh, participants in the modern world and all the unhealthy food choices out there. But at least if they have a conscience about it. That's a wonderful thing. And so much more to cover when you guys keep feeding, feeding the beast. That is the community uh, connection here, trying to do the right thing. Thank you so much. Info at ketoreset.com for more questions, comments, suggestions, feedback for the show. Thanks for listening. This is Brad Kearns. Have a great day. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just super, it's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.